cameras are rolling. Rolling, rolling. Sound speeding. The time has come for our celebration of cinema's classic, Real Monsters! Hello everyone, I bid you welcome to episode 2 of Real Monsters Podcast. I'm your host, AJ Dana, and I'm grateful you're tuning in. Thanks for joining me today. Previously on Real Monsters Podcast, I interviewed Jacob Larson about the history of classic monster pinball machines. Today, my guest is Craig Sawyer, the writer and creator of Forbidden Museum, a new classic monster-inspired comic series. Forbidden Museum takes some familiar elements of the classic monster lore and ties them into a sort of Indiana Jones sense of adventure, presenting a fresh take on the Monster of the Week format. We're following along with Henry Harker, a direct descendant of Jonathan Harker, as he traverses the globe looking for cursed artifacts and prime evils that plague the world. We'll talk to Craig Sawyer all about it in just a moment, but first, as you might know, I secretly invite each of my Real Monsters podcast guests to start their interview with their best mad scientist laugh to keep the cheesy Halloween and horror vibe going. So, without further ado, please welcome to Real Monsters Podcast, Craig Sawyer! <laughs> wow, 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 bravo! That is by far the best mad scientist laugh we have had so far on Real Monsters Podcast. Even though there's only a handful of episodes, that's the front runner. Everybody else is going to have to beat that one. Well done, sir. The bar is set. The bar is indeed set. And of course, it makes sense because you are a monster creator, writer and creator of Forbidden Museum, a new comic book series. At the time of this recording, you just successfully funded issue number two on Kickstarter. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So as I mentioned, in the introduction, this is a, a story that sort of blends archaeology with the classic monsters by spawning one of uh, Harker's direct descendants from the Dracula story and turns him into sort of an adventurer character. Tell us a little bit more about Forbidden Museum and how you got the idea for this story. So you're absolutely right. So you go back and uh, in the normal Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, Jonathan Harker, the Hunters of Dracula, Jonathan Harker, Mina Harker, uh, Quincy Morris, and Dr. Van Helsing that we all know from the books and some of the movies. In my world, they they trap Dracula in his coffin and they seal it with uh, this forbidden magic from the book of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. So what do you do when you trap this this great evil, one of many great evils in the world, a forbidden museum? Well, you build a magical prison for him. And not only does Dracula exist in my world, but also the Gil God, uh, the Mummy King, uh, the Wolf Beast, and Frankenstein's monster. So Jonathan Harker and crew hunt these prime evils down, and they lock them away in this magical prison he calls the Forbidden Museum, which is located about a mile under the British Museum in London. And there he seals it with this powerful artifact, the Book of the Dead, Flash forward to present day and his great, great, maybe great grandson, John, uh, Henry Harker, is an uh, amateur podcaster, uh, adventurer, and he's been searching for his grandfather's forbidden museum, thinking it holds 
prices antiquities and he'll be super famous for it but what he finds is is this magical prison of monsters that he accidentally releases and becomes uh this cursed curator who is slowly rotting until he can find all these prime evils and replace them back in the museum excellent we're already seeing some of that story in issue number one which is also beautiful by the way luke archie did the interior pencils and inks james g brown did the colors and ed dukeshire did the letters but issue number one is really interesting because this essentially introduces us to how henry harker became the cursed curator of the forbidden museum in the present day uh, and issue number two which was just successfully funded uh it focuses on the temple of the gill god tell us about that so the Guild Gods, uh, some some of the things in the museum are artifacts, and some of their actual monsters. So the the eggs of the egg of the Guild God got stolen. Henry Harker had a partner uh, named Malcolm who betrayed Henry Harker and locked him in a sarcophagus and uh, stole all the items and sold them on the black market, which is why they're scattered across the globe. So Henry Harker uh, has this magical scarab that attaches itself to the new curator's chest, which he is, and gives him the strength of 10 men. He doesn't have to breathe, sleep or eat. So it sounds all great at first until you realize you're slowly rotting and it's actually a curse. So he's becoming a curse monster himself. So it kind of gives him this vibe of where to find these items. So it's almost like a GPS tracker. So he, he knows the next item he needs to find is in the Amazon. So he hires, uh, he gets a plane using his, he's also has his great grandfather's, uh, all his money. He's, so he's got all this money and he flies down to find the egg and he's got to locate each one. So each, each issue of the comic will be a different monster that he has to hunt down or artifact. See, I totally love that format because you've got a monster of the week set up here with these characters that are from myths and, and legends that lend themselves very well to these various environments that Henry Harker can be visiting. And I particularly enjoy the Gilgod concept because when I was younger, I really enjoyed a TV show called Legends of the Hidden Temple. And uh, fans of this show may recall the contestants had to venture through all the various haunted and treacherous rooms of a temple environment to find an artifact from history. Uh, but I don't recall them doing any monster-related artifacts, so the fact yeah. that this Forbidden Museum series exists, tracking down artifacts, it's something that definitely appealed to my nostalgia and probably will do so for uh, people who grew up with the Hidden Temple series and other various productions like that. Uh, it it's perfect, honestly. I love this setup. Uh, and Speaking of my childhood, uh, a lot of the monster things that I grew up uh, enjoying were what influenced my career, both as a creator and as a, a writer and a creature performer. Tell us about your childhood, Craig. Were you a monster kid growing up? I mean, you're still a monster kid now, but tell us about that. Oh, for sure. So I grew up in a small town in uh, Middle Tennessee, uh, where we have a lake and a high school and a few stores. And I think I had three channels on the on the TV. And... Uh, of course, I saw Universal Monster movies. Uh, and the first time I saw later, the first time I saw those images of those monsters, as well as Hammer Horror, the British monsters like Oliver Reed and Curse of the Werewolf, was in the pages of an old, uh, the Crestwood Horror books. I don't know if you know about them, but our, our, our my grammar school library had these set of orange-bound Crestwood monster books. And the covers were black and white imagery from the Hammer Horror movies and from the Universal movies. And when I was in the fourth grade, only sixth graders could check these books out. So I begged and begged the librarian if I could check these books out. 
And so I got all of them, you know, and it, 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 it and before I got to see the movies, it instilled this fascination for these images of like King Kong and the mummy Wolfman and, and all these creatures that just stayed with me so much. That was how I started like my obsession with monsters. And, uh, there was actually a book in the library too, as well. It was it was a book on werewolves that literally taught you how to transform into one. And when you're in the fourth grade, you believe things are real, and like it involved like a wolf skin belt. But now that I look back, it was like, what are the ingredients of the spell that turned to a werewolf? Was was uh, poppy seeds, which I think is opium. <laughs> but, oh no! Yeah, I guess you would think you're a werewolf. But uh, yeah, man, I live. You know, I grew up in the '80s. Uh, is like a a 12 to early teen. Now, I mean, even my bus driver sold like the spike wristbands and butterfly knives. It was a different age, man. But my parents was cool later on about me watching horror movies. And uh, for some reason, I've always been drawn to like monsters. It's just, I don't know if this is the outsider quality of monsters or just this, the uh, extreme appearance of monsters. But yeah, from a young age, definitely a monster fan. Well, you and me both, my friend, I recall uh, reading an early copy of Edward Edelson's Great Monsters of the Movies. I found this little paperback for 75 cents when I was probably no older than six years old. And, you know, seeing Nosferatu and Lon Chaney's Phantom of the Opera in these pages, you're right. It is that outsider quality to these characters. They're not the sort of characters we're seeing in our day-to-day lives and not even really what we're seeing in the movies that are being made nowadays, which is why I appreciate creators like yourself who are still making these monster stories uh, so you mentioned that your parents were cool with you watching horror movies which is great a great way to to get into the genre do you recall what your first monster movie was there's distinctly remember like so two things that really influenced me as a child one was a film and one was a tv movie the film was jaws which i consider jaws uh, a horror movie per, per se uh and i remember my, my mom she was uh, raised me as a single mom for the first six years of my life. And I think I was like two and a half or three. I barely remember this, but she took me to see a, uh, to the movies to see Jaws. And I remember this because it was storming outside. And right when the music, the Donna, the Donna, the power went out in the theater. Oh, wow. And like, I remember that even as like being like three years old, like it, it really put a shock in my system. And now that I look back, you know, I started thinking about some of the things we're going to talk about today is like, you know, those kind of events really shape you growing up. And I think it kind of instilled that that cinematic fantasy horror kind of like uh, world in me at a young age. And the other the TV movie I was talking about, there was an old movie based on H.G. Wells, The Island of Lost Souls. It was uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau. There's a couple of islands of Dr. Moreau's that were made. There's the old one from the 30s, 20s and 30s. Then there's one in the 80s that had Burt Lancaster in it and Nigel Davenport, which is the one I saw on television, where the monsters are just terrifying. The the hybrid monsters, it's like, and they were very sympathetic, too. In that. And then later we have the Brando and the Val Kilmer version, which was just a train wreck. <laughs> the, the, we'll talk about that too. There's a there's a documentary on that called the, uh, the Island of Lost Souls that about the director who went insane because he got fired from that. But you got to check that out. But that's another story. But this uh, Burt Lancaster version of Island of Dr. Moreau is like, I think I was probably maybe four or five or six, but I came on television. And like the monsters on it just like blew my mind. 
And uh, I really remember that movie is one of the first kind of like monster movies I saw. Yeah, it sounds to me like you had a lot of these formative experiences essentially before the age of 10. And when you do have monsters as part of your upbringing at that point in time, I mean, that really is an easy way for one of two things to happen. Either you're going to be completely turned off by the genre because it freaks you out, or it's going to freak you out in the best way possible. And then you're hooked on it. It becomes normal to you, you know? It was, it was not just, it wasn't really scary. It was more like a, like oh there's 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 something magical in the world there's difference in the world and like there's this you know a little bit of fear to it but mostly just like wonderment i guess is a better word like oh there's there's something else out there that i don't know about like what is this I completely agree with you. I think uh, one of the reasons I enjoy being an actor and being a creator, much like yourself, is finding that magic and curating, so to speak, that magic as opposed to what we see in our day-to-day lives. And I think that's something that makes the Forbidden Museum story also stand out, is you've got this character like Henry Harker, who is so deeply rooted in what is material and what is now. You know, he's a podcaster, he's an adventurer, uh, an urban explorer, so to speak, and then he's introduced to these supernatural powers that obviously his relatives and his relatives associates were quite familiar with, but is something that correct me if I'm wrong, but Henry Harker in the beginning is sort of like a skeptic. Wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah, I mean, he he has no idea that there's this, this, this underbelly of a magical monster filled world. You know, he was more like getting hits on his podcast kind of guy. And like, although he likes adventure and stuff, I don't think it ever entered his mind that this could be uh there could be a supernatural component to his grandfather's museum. Well, boy, he was in for a rude awakening there. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, he's definitely the the eyes of, the, of, of a modern audience seeing these monsters, you know, and being introduced to these monsters and that. And what I love about, you know, a genre of movies that I don't see much anymore. There's like a void of like. And everybody says, I love Indiana Jones. I love the monster movie. Most people love these movies. They love adventure movies, but you don't see too many of them anymore. I mean, there's a lot. Of, I love the comic book movies, but I feel like they're the classic monsters are going to make like they're right on the verge of making a comeback into the public consciousness. Very close. I completely agree. I was just talking about this with my guest on the podcast uh, in the last episode, Jacob Larson. We were uh, discussing how events like Halloween Horror Nights at Universal have really helped bring the monsters back into the mainstream with their series of attractions like The Bride of Frankenstein Lives and Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. These theme park attractions have, I think, really helped with the brand awareness in the general public eye when you see classic monsters advertised right alongside, you know, modern franchises like Jurassic World and Fast and Furious, it really reminds you that in many ways, we wouldn't be where we are today without these movies of yesteryear. Absolutely. And, I, you know, Forbidden Museum was born of the fact that, like, I was waiting and waiting for Universal to kind of come up with, get their, fix their dark universe. And, like, and I, then I started thinking, like, what, why is this not working? And what would I do if I had the reins to make my own monster-filled universe? How would I do that? So what, you know, started as a thought experiment was, like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make a comic book and and get this out of my system and the forbidden museum was born from that 
And I'm really glad it was because you picked a great format to showcase this essentially multiverse of monsters and have them all tied together in a way that works very well in a linear series like a comic book because you have the opportunity to sort of introduce a different monster in each uh, issue and explore their environments, which is another interesting opportunity you had here because using these classic monsters of mythology and, and folklore, you've sort of expanded the world that each of them comes from with their own environments, like the, the Temple of the Gil God. You know, where was your uh, thought process going when you were looking for inspiration to expand each of these environments the monsters come from? You know, you've got the Temple of the Gil God and, and the Wolf Beast, and it was sort of up to you to draw upon familiar stories but create new elements for these monsters' homelands and environments. Tell me about that. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, what what would I want to know more about these monsters? You, like, build more of a, a cohesive world for them in a backstory and and like you know, I take full advantage of of adventure, humor, and the horror ex- aspect of it. You know, I wanted to give a full course meal. You know, I think the Mummy series with Brendan Fraser did humor well. I think Universal's version did casting the monsters in the atmosphere well. Hammer horror did the over the top blood and sexy horror well. And the novels had uh, things in them that were never added to the mythos in general. Like many people don't realize that love Dracula. I don't think they've ever read. Bram Stoker's Dracula, because, you know, Dracula in that book was a black magician who sought out this uh, magic school in the Carpathians that was actually ran by Satan himself. And he became the most adept student of evil. And he was literally a necromancer that turned himself into a vampire. That's in Bram Stoker's Dracula. There's more to this character that hasn't been done. And I kind of want to envision uh, those things. And like, uh, there's a quote from the creator of the movie Alien, uh, Dan O'Bannon, that goes, uh, I didn't steal from anybody. I stole from everybody. <laughs> not, I'm not talking like plagiarism. I'm talking about nothing's new under the sun. Everybody takes something that's come before them and uses, puts their own imagination into the soup and creates something new from that. Uh, Dracula in my world is a, a dark wizard magician necromancer who stole Vlad Tepish's identity and castle and he sinks power and so Frankenstein in my world shares a brain with Dr. Frankenstein and the monster and so he's literally both of them so now you can actually call Dr. Frankenstein's monster Frankenstein because he is and they share a consciousness in my book and uh, the Gil God is worshipped as a god in the Amazon by a particular tribe and I added more of a prehistoric lost world element to the Amazon where there's more dinosaurs in it. And he's a throwback to prehistoric times. So there's going to be a dinosaur battle with the Gil God. And uh, the wolf beast is a thief uh, from New Orleans who steals uh, a cursed uh, wolf belt made of wolf skin. And he finds himself cursed as as the new wolf beast. So I'm trying to put a spin on all these and and give each story like its own, uh, its own identity that we haven't seen before. Exactly. Well, I think it's working. Just reading the book so far, it's got its own original identity that still feels rooted in mythology and folklore and some elements of the original novels and certain things borrowed here and there to create your own original vision of these characters, which I really appreciate and it comes across very clearly and it's a really enjoyable read. Uh, I recommend everybody out there check out issue number one if you haven't yet. I believe you said uh, issue number one had a sold out run. Is that correct? Yeah, we had uh, two two sold out runs for issue one. 
Well, thank you for playing your part in helping get classic monsters back onto comic book stands and hopefully into young hands very soon. But Forbidden Museum is not the only project you're working on. Tell us what's next for you, Greg. Hey, I'm glad you asked. I have the artist finishing up issue two of Forbidden Museum, which should be out in July. And I also just wrapped up my debut novel. Uh, it's a horror story. It's called The Clayboy. And then it's out to a few publishers. And I'll have a very creepy short story called The Bone King being published by Quill and Crow Publishing in the anthology uh, Carnival Macabre, Gothic Hara. So it's a story of a group of uh, modern-day train hoppers encountering the terrifying folk legend known as the Bone King. So please check that out. The anthology will be available in May. You can find it at quillandcrowpublishinghouse.com. Well, I'm looking forward to reading those, and I hope some of our listeners today are going to look into those as well and Forbidden Museum. So for anyone looking to learn more about your work, where can they find you online? You can find me on Insta and Twitter at C Sawyer Writer. Uh, you can also email me directly at info skulldustpress at gmail.com. Info skulldustpress at gmail.com. All righty. Thank you, Craig. And thank you to all of you for listening to today's episode of Real Monsters Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview and I hope you enjoy reading Forbidden Museum. That wraps up today's interview. So. Keep it real, monster fans. I'm AJ Dana, and I'll see you next time for more Real Monsters Podcast. Real Monsters Podcast theme song by Alexander Taylor. Real Monsters logo and key art by Will Davenport. Real Monsters Podcast is an unofficial fan tribute to the classic monster stories of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and is not sponsored by any of the entertainment entities discussed. Any and all opinions expressed within Real Monsters Podcast are those of my own or those of my guests. Stay tuned and subscribe to Real Monsters Podcast for even more monstrous discussions.